quarantine. listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar to Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard the Aardvarks with Arthur C. Clarke on the Screaming Apple record label. Today on the Nardwar to Human Serviette Radio Show, an interview with Buck Cherry from the Modernettes, who are playing in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada tonight. And yes, Kind of as per usual, listeners will be rewarded, rewarded if you listen through the entire show. Right now, we're going to go way back into the Modernettes vaults. In fact, 
back to pre-modernettes. Before the modernettes from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, actually from White Rock, if you really want to be official, there was Active Dog. So we're going to play a whole bunch of Active Dog from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and we're going to have some modernettes, and we're going to have an interview with Buck Cherry from the modernettes. So here's Active Dog, a band that spawned the modernettes and the pointed sticks. Active Dog.
all the drugs. still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwarta Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard pretty much the entire recorded output, at least as far as I know, by Active Dog. You heard Fun While It Lasts, Rat Race, Nothing Holding You, and Good Filthy Fun by Active Dog, who later metamorphosized into the Modernettes, who are playing tonight in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Pointed Sticks, who are playing next Saturday in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And coming up on an Ardwarty Human Serviette Radio Show, an interview with Buck Cherry from the Modernettes, who also played guitar in Active Dog. And we'll have to find out if there'll be any Active Dog songs played tonight at Richards on Richards when the Modernettes play Richards on Richards tonight in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Right now, I'm going to play the Modernettes tune Confidential, and then I'm going to follow it up, perhaps exemplifying the influence of the Modernettes, with The Cheeks from Germany, also on the Screaming Apple record label, like the Aardvarks, with their 1990s version of Confidential, The Cheeks from Germany. Here is the original Confidential by the Modernettes, who are playing tonight in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and in The Cheeks, and then after that we'll have some more stuff related to the Modernettes, possibly some Los Populeros, a super group comprising Art Bergman, the Dills, the Pointed Sticks, the Modernettes, and Active Dog, all together on the Nardwarta Human Serviette Radio Show. Actually, hold on a second. That is disrespect. How how I how I just disrespected the Modernettes right there by not having that song from the very beginning. So here we go. Confidential. Time for me 
You're still listening to CITR, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwarda Human Serviette Radio Show. And caller, are you there? Hello, caller. I'm here, Nardwar. Who are you? I am Buck Cherry of the Modernettes. How the hell are you, Buck? Tolerably well, sir. Tolerably well. You are playing tonight with the Modernettes at Richards on Richards. This is it, Nardwar. It's the big time. When was the last time that the Modernettes played? Just so that we can really play up how exclusive this performance will be. And how unlikely. Um, I think the last time was either for Dimwit's Wake at the Commodore. Dimwit was our drummer who died suddenly and tragically. Or, for, or it may have been the shoot for Hardcore Logo. How I can't many, remember. How many times have you used the name Modernettes when doing a gig? Because you did do a gig a little while back, a benefit for Alexandrio, didn't you? Could you explain? Yeah. Yes, could you explain a bit about that? And also, could you explain a bit about how he covered one of your songs? Or who covered one of your songs, the Modernettes song? Was it Rank and File? What's the connection there? Because going way back in the set here, I played a song by the Cheeks from Germany who covered Confidential. And it made me think, I wonder who else has covered the Modernettes? Did Rank and File cover the Modernettes, and who were Rank and File? Okay, here we go. This is like the like the zigzag rock tree. Uh, who was that guy? Pete Frame was that his name? Yes, he's amazing. Business? Yeah. Okay, there was a band called The Dills in San Francisco, with uh, Tony Kinman and Chip Kinman played bass and guitar and sang. They were kind of like the punk rock Everly Brothers, or these great singers. Uh, they left sort of high speed punk rock behind and decided to explore the music they grew up listening to, which was really old-time country country music. And they started a band called Rank and File. The other guitarist in the band was a fellow named Alejandro Escovedo, also from San Francisco by way of New York. He'd been in a band called The Nuns. They broke up, but we played with Rank and File many, 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 many times, and with the Dills before that. 
we were good friends with them. I ended up being very good friends with Alejandro. Alejandro became an acclaimed singer and songwriter, and he covered Rebel Kind, a song that I wrote. And you played a benefit for Alejandro a little while back with members of the New Pornographers. So the name Modernettes was used then. That's what I was just trying to figure out. How yeah. many times did the name well, Modernettes was a shameless been used? ploy to sell as many tickets as possible. And if the name Modernettes would sell three more tickets, then that was fine with me. Because Alejandro was uh, collapsed, actually, with uh, complications from hepatitis, hepatitis C, which is, I guess, the really bad one. And... Uh, being an American citizen, of course, he had no uh, health insurance. So he was uh, under not only sick almost to death, but uh, with crushing debt. So we recorded an album here with a number of people playing Alejandro songs on it. And we also did a benefit show. So John Collins and Kurt from the New Pornographers were the rhythm section. Randy Carpenter and myself played guitars and, and sang. Now, tonight at Richards on Richards, what will be the lineup? John Armstrong, Buck Cherry from the Modernettes playing tonight at Richards on Richards. It's me and my illegitimate children. Uh, I run a recording studio with Gordon Nickel from the Pointed Sticks. And in the course of uh, recording bands, I became acquainted with a young Vancouver band called the Philharmonic. Uh, we became really good friends. They recorded a bunch of stuff at our place. And uh, when it came for me to record an album, the bass player and guitarist were part of the band, and Kurt Dahl was the drummer. Then later on, when we decided, when we got this offer to go to Japan, uh, Kurt isn't going to be able to do it because of his commitments to the new pornographers, so we got Ryan, who had been the drummer in the Philharmonic. So basically, it's me and the Philharmonic. Who else has been in the Modernettes? Of course, you had Mary Jo. Where are the whereabouts of Mary Jo and, believe it or not, Jughead, who was on the Nardwater Human Serviette radio show exactly one year ago today? Jughead, the original drummer from the Modernettes, or one of the drummers from the Was he the original drummer of the Modernettes? Yes. He was on a Nardwater Human Serviette radio show one year ago today. One year ago today, and he was telling me he was in a Celtic band now. What has happened to the other members of... The Modernettes. You mentioned the Dimwit. We all know he has passed away very sadly. He was in the Modernettes. Who else was in the Modernettes? Steve Macklem, the manager of the Pointed Sticks, was in the Modernettes. John Doe from the Scramblers was in the Modernettes. Who was in the Modernettes? John Doe was. John Doe has been dining out on this for like 25 years. John Doe was in the band for about five minutes one afternoon before I kicked his ass out. So. Let me put paid to that right now, once and for all. And how about Steve Macklem, manager of the Pointed Sticks? Was he ever in the Modernettes? Not that I remember, but maybe he was. I was pretty pilled up in those days in our war. <laughs> at, at any rate, if he was, it was before there actually was a solid lineup. It would have been when I was still writing songs and trying to put my very first band that I was going to lead together. So, I mean, he might have, I think maybe he played bass for a bit or something. So, but I really don't remember. So who won't be there, John Armstrong? Mary Jo will not be playing bass. Who is Mary Jo? Will Mary Jo be there? Mary Jo, uh, my ex-wife, and she now lives in the far, far north. The last time I saw her, I asked her where she lived, and she could only describe it to me as 10 hours north of Prince George. So I figure any place where you can only give directions, such as go to Prince George and then head north for 10 hours, is pretty remote. And she raises exotic house cats. The last time I saw her, I interviewed her when she was in the band Damage Say Damage. Yeah, great band. 
who I think comprised of members of the Shades and Modernettes. So who else was in the Modernettes? Who was going to be missing there tonight there, John Armstrong from the Modernettes? Who else is in the Modernettes clan? We had Randy Carpenter. He the was a Modernettes. The lineup was Jughead on drums, Mary Jo on bass, and myself. And then uh, we broke up for a couple of years just because I got tired of being in a three-piece. And, you know, bands just get worn out, especially we were touring a lot. I played in the Populeros with uh, Art Bergman and Tony Bardak and Zippy Pinhead. And after that war thin, we got the Modernettes back together with Mary and myself, along with a new drummer, Ian Noble, and my old friend Randy Carpenter on guitar and vocals. And that band played together for two and a half years, released one EP, and then likewise bit the dust. In a flurry of alcohol and drug-related problems. And then later you joined Los Durangos as well. What was your band history after the Modernettes broke up there, John Armstrong, Buck Cherry from the Modernettes? After the second Modernettes broke up, I just had had my fill of it. I was just kind of worn out and sick at heart. So I kind of retired myself from playing music. And then I started writing. I started doing journalism in a desperate attempt to make a living for once. So uh, Greg Potter got a hold of me and uh, said they needed a, another guitarist, and would I like to join? So I joined as a uh, kind of like a hired gun thing. And I played a little bit on their record and then played for about six months, played shows with them. And that was really it. Now, going into your deepest, darkest past there, John Armstrong, Buck Cherry from the Modernettes, we began an Ardwarty Human Serviette radio show playing a whole bunch of Active Dog. I played Active Dog, Fun While It Lasts, Active Dog, Rat Race, Active Dog, Nothing Holding You, Active Dog, Good Filthy Fun. Did you play on all those tracks? Are any of those songs going to be played tonight at the Modernettes reunion? Active Dog. No, uh, for, for one really good reason, they're not my songs. Those were all written by Ross Carpenter, the bass player in Active Dog, and that was really his band. However, you did add some Buck Cherry-isms yeah. to the songs. Are there any Buck Cherry-isms on those songs that if people listen to them, they can go, oh, that's Buck Cherry, that's John Armstrong? Well, when you hear a really loud, out-of-tune guitar, that'll be me. I was also going to play some Lost Populeros before you phoned in early. Thank you again for phoning in. And again, if anybody has any questions for Buck Cherry, John Armstrong, it's 604-822-247 at 604-UBCCITR. John and the Modernettes are playing tonight at Richards & Richards in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, 604-UBCCITR, 604-822-2487. I was going to play some Lost Populeros, but then I looked at it. Well, actually, you phoned in before I could play it, but I was going to play Get Out of your house by Lost Populeros. Did you write any songs in Lost Populeros on the first EP that I'm looking at here? Are there any? There don't seem to be any songs credited to you. I'm only on the single. Was that by design? Did you come late, or how did that happen? No, I came early. <laughs> the story of my life. I was in the first, the early version of Lost Populeros, and then we toured a couple of times, and I just couldn't take it any longer so i quit that band and, and reformed the modernettes uh it was kind of like a uh, it was kind of like a, a rehab treatment center on wheels that band the, so. the videos you made were absolutely amazing. I saw some, some of the videos. They were incredible, the Los Populeros videos, like sitting in wicker chairs and all sorts of interesting stuff. Yeah, I don't 
know if I'm even in any of them. I'm on that first single that has uh, Working Girls and Mystery to Myself on it. We'll get that later on in an Ardwardy Human Survey yeah. radio show. I do have that one, and we do have John Armstrong, Buck Cherry from the Modernettes on the line. And right now, Buck, I am wearing a Modernettes T-shirt, the one that you gave me. What's the history of this T-shirt that I'm wearing? Apparently, Metal Mike of the Angry Samoans has something to do with it. It's like this amazing vintage Modernettes T-shirt that I'm wearing right now, sweating yeah. in it. It was brand new when I gave it to you. See, now it's out of the box. It won't be worth any money, Nardwar. I haven't washed it since, and I'm not going to wash it tonight either. What's the history behind this shirt, this modernette shirt that's like resurfaced after all these years? We played a show at the Smile in Buddha, and we did four separate posters, one of each band member. And I think you've got the one with Mary on it, right? Yes. And then we did T-shirts. And somewhere along the way on some tour, a number of them ended up with Metal Mike. We played a show with the Samoans somewhere in California. And 25 years or something later, I get this email, and he says, Hey, I got these modern S T-shirts. Do you want them back? They've been sitting in my closet for 20 years. And I said, Yeah, sure. I know some people that like one. So I got half a dozen of them. Just arrived parcel post one day. Caller, are you there? I am here, Nardware. Go ahead to Buck Cherry from the Modernettes. Hi, Buck Cherry. Uh, I was just wondering about the hardcore logo. I've seen that film a couple times. I was just wondering... What part did you guys have in that? Well, uh, you know, for a guy who spent the entire morning of that shoot fussing with his hair and trying to decide which shirt to wear, I really didn't need to bother because I'm in it for about four seconds. Uh, they, uh, it kind of, the camera kind of goes past me while we're playing Suicide Club and then cuts to something else. But he did write the liner notes for the album, the soundtrack album. Wasn't there some grand vision for that movie where there were going to be vintage clips of Vancouver rock and roll? Because I remember hanging around the editing suite, and I actually saw the performance that's on the CD of you on the Vancouver show, some old clips of the modernettes. Was there some grand vision of some old Vancouver punk rock in Hardcore Logo that never came to be? I don't know. It was, you know, all, all Michael's thing. Not Turner, the other one, the, the director. Uh, I didn't really have a part in that. I mean... I got to do some dialogue rewrites, and I did the liner notes for the album, and then we played the concert that they filmed and ended up not using very much of. Uh, just because, you know, what movies are like, you film tons and tons of stuff, and when you put it together, you find that a lot of it you just don't need. So, No, I know the caller. Is it Joe the caller? Hello, Joe. Is that you? Are you still there, caller? The caller left before I could... I gave such a crappy answer that he hung up. But I was going to mention, Joe the Caller once phoned in when I had Dennis Hopper on the Nardwarty Human Serviette radio show, and I remember speaking to you the day I did that interview, so I was going to ask you again, what is your connection to Dennis Hopper, Buck Cherry of the Modernettes, playing tonight in Vancouver, Columbia, Canada? You did an encounter with Dennis Hopper, didn't you? A couple of times. One is when he was filming out of the... up here, and... uh, when we, we met during my journalism career, I got sent down when uh, River's Edge came out. I got sent down to Seattle to the film festival to interview him about the movie. And we sat down, and we were kind of staring at each other. And he's like, I, I know you from somewhere. And I was going, yeah. I didn't know I'd met you before. I'm sure I've, we've actually talked before. And then we realized that it was at the height of his cocaine madness when he was filming out of the blue up here, and we were in bad shape, both of us. But uh, he had just got out of rehab. He just quit drinking, and he'd quit cocaine sometime before. But we were doing the interview in a bar, and he kept buying me drinks because he said, I don't drink anymore, but I like to watch other people drink. <laughs> so we ended up having this two-and-a-half-hour interview that just got progressively 
more out of control. That's my connection. What are your memories of the movie Out of the Blue, shot in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, featuring the pointed sticks? Could have the modernettes been in that movie? Are you in that movie? What are your memories of the movie, ladies and gentlemen, of Fabulous Stains, also shot in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, also featuring, well, dish rags as skunks? Are you in that movie? Nope. No, I uh, don't know what happened. I might have even been out of town when they were shooting that. But the other, uh, the first one, the uh, Out of the Blue, I just remember... I went down like one day, and that was the day that there was just a big, nothing got done. There was just a big cocaine fest. But I remember that Dimwit was actually emerged as the star, and Hopper was just in love with Dimwit. He thought he was the most amazing personality on film. Did he later bring that up when you talked to him a couple years later? Yeah, he remembered Ken. And you are John Armstrong, Buck Cherry of the Modernettes. If anybody has any questions for Buck Armstrong, John Cherry, ba 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 ba. Do you want to give some tickets away? It's six oh four. Callers will be rewarded if they continue to listen to this interview. If they continue to listen to the interview, they will be rewarded at the end. There, Buck. It's six oh four eight two 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 four eight seven six oh four UBCCITR to talk to John Armstrong, Buck Cherry, who is playing tonight with the Modernettes in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, at Richards on Richards. Listening to your recordings. And reading interviews with you, John, you talk about your 57 Les Paul. Where did you get your 57 Les Paul? Do you still have it? I, I borrowed $1,000 from the drummer about 1981. It was in a glass case at a place called Mother's Music on Kingsway. And I went in and saw it and just fell in love with it. And I asked the guy behind the counter, is this guitar for sale? And he said, well, maybe, you know, for the right price, anything's for sale, kid. And I said, well, how much do you want? He said, I want $995. So I borrowed it off the drummer. And he rode my ass until I paid him back. But I still have it. It's uh, safely locked up in the studio. I don't take it to gigs anymore because it's just too precious now. And Johnny Thunders, is that the one that Johnny Thunders almost got his mitts on? He had his mitts right on it until I snatched it back. <laughs> yeah, we played a show with Johnny Thunders, and afterwards... Uh, He'd ask me a whole bunch of questions. Is that the original finish? And what year is that? And was that a, t- a TV or a junior? And then he said, well, i got to go. I'll see you guys later. And he just walked out the door and picked up my guitar and started to head out with it. And I said, hey, John, you got the wrong guitar. And he says, oh, man, all these Gibson cases look the same. And, of course, it didn't look like anything except mine. It had modernette spray painted all over it. And so... You know, hey, never trust a junkie. The songs on the Teen City EP just sound amazing, the fidelity, etc. And looking closely, you can see that Bob Rock was involved. What do you remember about working with Bob Rock? Did he really help? Oh, God, yeah. Bob, you know, for all, Bob is probably only really known even in Vancouver for, you know, Aerosmith and, uh, you know, Bon Jovi and The Cult and stuff like that. He was enormously important to the Vancouver punk rock scene because he was an engineer at Little Mountain Sound. And every time that there was, uh, you know, downtime, like two, three, four in the morning, every time there was a couple hours, he would get bands in and record them. And, you know, for, for peanuts, for very little token money. But also, he's a, he's a very, very good... Uh, He's a very good musician, and he's a very canny engineer. Do you think he'll make it out tonight? He is in town, from what I understand. Oh, I hope so. I'd love to see him. He, and he also, he's just one of the nicest guys in the world. He really is a sweetheart. 
The songs from the Modernettes are amazing. Like, everyone is so ultra-catchy. One of the ones that wasn't recorded in high fidelity by Bob Rock was 509. Will you be doing the song 509? And what was that song all about? Five, 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 oh, nine. Uh, no, that's actually not in the set tonight. Uh, what it's about is a place called 509 East Cordova. That was the address of it, and uh, it was a little house behind another house. It was a little house that was opened, the front door opened onto the alley, which is common down in that neighborhood. And uh, it was a tiny little three-bedroom place, and about eight of us lived there. And that's the house that The Clash came to after they played Vancouver. They came to a, uh, an after-show party. After witnessing your band, Active Dog, were you on stage when all that oh, happened? Oh, at the windmill, yeah, they came to the windmill. And that's where they saw Active Dog armed with piss pistols, right? The urine gun incident. Our singer, Bill Shirt, uh, was tired of being spat upon by punk rockers who had read tabloid magazines and figured that was the way to behave. So he told them before we started playing that he had personally filled this squirt gun with urine and the first person who who spit on him was going to get his piss in their face. And that pretty much uh, ended the uh, spitting. John Armstrong, Buck Cherry, also looking at the modernette set list of old, I see the song Vacation. What was that song? Will you be doing that tonight? No, God, you're just digging up all the ones we're not doing. Vacation was a song by Connie Francis. V-A-C-A-T-I-O-N in the summer sun. And we just did it as uh, like a Ramones version of it, just because it was the most unlikely thing to cover a Connie Francis song. We also did a George Jones song. We did uh, Why Baby Why as an amped up Ramones type song. Will you be doing any covers tonight? We have a very surprise cover for the end of the night that no one will expect. But uh, we're doing four songs off the first EP, four songs off the second EP. So four out of six, four out of five. And then we're doing a couple of songs the original Modernettes uh, wrote and just never got around to recording because they kept breaking up. And then we're doing. Uh, eight of my new ones that'll be on the new album. John Armstrong, Buck Cherry, you also have the classic song, I Can Only Give You Everything, which some people might think is a cover, but isn't a cover. Was there ever any confusion after you wrote that song that that wasn't your song? I.e., I know the band Slow from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. They had a song called Black is Black, and Ham from Slow Tank Hog, Canned Ham, told me he used to get publishing royalties because they thought it was the song, this from is like, they thought it was Black Lost is... Bravos? Yes, they thought it was Lost Bravos, Black is black oh that's hilarious so did you get any money from the trogs ever who did i can only give you anything oh i didn't know the trogs had a song called i can only give you everything there's one by them or is it i can only give you anything anyways it's very close like one of those ones well there's one called i can only give you everything by uh them and there's also one by richard hell on on this i think the second voidoids album which i didn't know at the time it was just a catchy title and i didn't know where it had come from and I just blithely sat down and wrote a song. But hey, Neil Sedaka was the first one to write a song called Stairway to Heaven. So I wasn't too concerned about it. You can't copyright titles. John Armstrong of the Modern... We're playing that one. Were there any major or indie offers after you put out the Teen City EP? In your book, you mentioned how you had much greater attendance after the EP came out. It was quite a success. And just listening to the songs again, it's like totally amazing. Were there any offers from major labels at all? There were, but once they met us, they weren't interested. 
we had no interest in becoming a proper rock band, you know. What labels were interested? Were there any bigger American indie labels that were interested? Do you remember any of them? No. Actually, what happened is the, the head of Polygram Canada flew out from Toronto to see us and came to see us, and he was just aghast because we were actually drinking and smoking on stage and having fun. But aside from Polygram Canada, what about United States of America? Because listening to the EP, it just sounds like it would be a total calling card for people to want to sign you. No, but there were very, very few uh, indie labels at that point. I mean, there was Slash in L.A. What about Bomp? And Bomp, but, you know, Bomp had such a bad reputation for not paying people. that. And how about Jello by Afra? Because you'd done gigs with the Dead Kennys. Did you ever play with the Dead Kennys? What about, like, Alternative Tentacles or SST, any of those labels? Well, they were just starting out at that time, right? So you weren't able to get in there? No, I don't think we ever really explored it. We put it, The second Modern SCP was financed by ourselves and put out on our own label because we wanted to... You know, shop it around and see who was interested in it. And by the time we got it finished, we'd spent enough money that we actually couldn't use it as a calling card. We had to release it was that, to try to make the money back. Was that Vox Desperatum? Yeah. And you also had GP Records for Lost Populares. Who was that? Like all these interesting labels that you were I've got involved no idea. with. I, I didn't have anything to do with the Lost Pops thing. Now, what do you remember about the Pointed Sticks? You lost a bit of your band to the Pointed Sticks, Active Dog. You lost a bit of your band to the Pointed Sticks. What do you remember about the Pointed Sticks who are playing next week at Richards and Richards? You playing tonight? We were always so much better than they were. Uh, what I remember about them, actually, is that they were uh, the band in Vancouver that could open doors for everyone else because they were, hands down, the most professional and the most proficient musically and they had a catalog of really really great songs and so when they went and played somewhere they would they would always play places first they would play uh you know nightclubs that had not allowed any new bands in but the point of sticks would play there and they would draw a really good crowd they would you know they would play great and the owner would be thrilled and think well hey punk rock is great or New Wave, or whatever they were calling it that week. And then, you know, bands like us would slide in afterwards and just fuck it up for everyone. John Armstrong of the Modernettes, speaking of major labels and such, your good friend Art Bergman, is it true he was dropped from his record label the day he won a Juno Award? Yeah, it is true. That was a major label, right? Yeah, he won a Juno Award for Best New Artist about 20 years into his career. And uh, when he got home, he got... The news that, or he might have even, he was in Toronto, he might have even got the news that night that he was being dropped. Which is, you know, pretty much everything you need to know about the rock music business. Buck, who wrote the song Hawaii by the Young Canadians? Was there any active doggers involved with the song Hawaii? Mooch from the active dog? Was he involved in the writing of the song, the legendary Young Canadians classic Hawaii? Uh, yeah, as, as to the best of my knowledge, uh, and I think Art has kind of amended or made clear his his involvement in it. It was in some in some form originally an idea by Ross Carpenter, Mooch, Mooch uh, Flamond, the bass player for Active Dog. But uh, I don't believe he I don't know whether he had actually finished the whole song, but the elements were there, and I guess Art wrote it and put it out. And uh, so the authorship was confused for quite a few years, but I don't think that Art has any makes any bones about saying that it really is. Uh, it is originally Ross Carpenter's song, and that he had 
kind of written his version of it. Buck Cherry of the Modernettes, and again, we're speaking here live to Buck Cherry from the Modernettes. If you have any questions for Buck Cherry, who is playing tonight with the Modernettes at Richards & Richards in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, 604-822-2487. That's 604-UBC-CITR, and you will be rewarded later if you participate in this callers, if you know what I mean. I was wondering, what do you remember, Buck Cherry, about the video shoot for Barbara? We played the song Barbara to intro the interview because I didn't have a chance to put on The Lost Populous. What do you remember about the video shoot for Barbara? This is one thing that I do remember Jughead answering when I asked him about it, the original drummer to Monet. He mentioned it was shot over a period of months so you can see people's hair lengths at different lengths. Yeah. Well, it was a, it was a bunch of guys who uh, were you know, fairly adept uh, uh, filmmakers. They wanted to get in on the, uh, the burgeoning video business and they thought what they'd do is they'd shoot some local bands and do really high high-quality videos for them and use them as a calling card to bands that actually had money and could pay for their services, like, you know, the troopers and prisons and, you know, of the world. And I don't think it really worked out like that for them, but uh, the KTELs or the Young Canadians ourselves and the Dish Rags and DOA all got really nice videos made for, for a pittance. What I remember about shooting it the most is them trying to get us out of bed in the morning to go and film. It was very hard to get us out of bed before about 1 o'clock in the afternoon. How about your performances on Soundproof, the cable access show out of North Vancouver? You doing 509 on there. You did a couple sessions at Soundproof. What do you remember about going down to Soundproof and shooting there? Because it looks great in the footage I've seen. Uh, it was just a riot. I mean, Martin Stubbs is one of the nicest guys in the world and did so much to uh, to help all the local bands by giving them, you know, airtime and talking them up. And he would just go nuts. So he'd be in the, behind the glass while we were playing live in the studio, and he would just be bouncing off the walls. And the more the, I broke strings, went out of tune, things would just be turning into the usual melody and mayhem, and he just couldn't be happier. I, I, that's, that's what I remember about it. I remember him just kind of literally bouncing off the walls with a big grin on his face. Where did Mary Jo, your bass player, get all her outfits? Because she's seen dancing to the young Canadians during Hawaii. I'm on a fucking Hawaii. And she always has these amazing outfits. Where did she get her outfits? Do you know where that particular outfit was that she wore in a Hawaii Thrift video? Stores. Thrift stores, Valley Village, Sally Ann. How about yourself? Did you spray paint your clothes? I've seen pictures taken by photographer Bev Davies that have, like, splotches on your, like, shirt and stuff. Did you do the old spray paint thing? Did you put slogans on your shirts? Uh, yeah, I think in the early days we did. For the Vancouver show. All the other kids were doing it in hardware. For the Vancouver, and all the other kids will be coming down tonight to Richards & Richards to go check oh, out. let's hope. The Modernettes tonight in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Also playing with who else will be on the bill tonight? Uh, the the Mighty Manvilles. Mickey Manville. Mikey. Mikey. Yeah, the Mighty the Manvilles, uh, Rich Hope and his Evil Doers, and Junior Major, which is a, a great band. When the Modernettes played the Vancouver show, and I saw this footage again because it was hanging around when they were editing the Hardcore Logo movie, I saw footage of you on the Vancouver show. I said, well, how did you guys get this? And they said, John Armstrong, Buck Cherry, was really smart. He requested a three-quarter-inch copy after he played on the show. Is that true that you requested a copy of the actual performance so you were able to have it for all posterity? Do you have more video like that out there? 
Uh, yeah, and some of it actually went missing over the years when people did compilations or wanted stuff for documentaries. I had the Modernettes playing in San Francisco at a Spanish-language, uh, like a community access channel. We played like an entire set and then got interviewed through an interpreter, <laughs> which was pretty which was pretty interesting. Uh, the Vancouver show, a and variety a, of different, you know, that, appearances on things. That's a great performance, and it was actually all, been, been able to put onto CD, too, with Wayne Cox and everything on there. Oh, God, yeah. I love it. I love the Vancouver show excerpt. We're going to play that at the end of the interview here on an Ardwardy Human Survey Radio show, but I still have a few more questions here. John Armstrong, Buck Cherry from the Modernettes playing in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. I mentioned Mooch earlier. Who exactly was Mooch? He was a guy from the band Active Dog, right? Mooch. One of my friends growing up in White Rock was a guy named Randy Carpenter who hipped me to a whole lot of really great music. He's the guy that first played me Graham Parsons and uh, Sid Barrett and a lot of things that I had never heard before when I was, you know, like 15, 16 years old. When we all moved to Vancouver, his brother, his older brother, Ross, lived in Vancouver and had a band that they needed, uh, they kind of fell apart. So what was left was the drums, Robert Bruce, who was later in the Pointed Sticks, and uh, a guitar player named Terry Bowes and Ross on bass. Bill Shirt and Gordon Nickel and myself joined that band, and it became Active Dog. And he wrote, uh, he wrote like the whole set. I mean, they were all his songs. Some of them Bill wrote some lyrics to, um, but not much. It was primarily Ross's band. And after Active Dog, he just sort of retreated into the studio and did ex- kind of experimental weird stuff like ant heads and got into sound collaging and and tape experiments. Uh, so that's who Ross is. Caller, are you there? Yeah, hi. Go ahead, caller. Yeah, hi, it's Bev. Oh, Bev Davies, we were just mentioning you. Where are you? Yes. You're going to give me shit about something, are you? <laughs> what? I'm in me? trouble again. No. <laughs> I was just saying to Buck Cherry, legendary photographer Bev Davies, that I saw a photo of yours that had John wearing a shirt that was all splotches on it. Do you know the photo I'm talking about? Maybe behind in it, was it behind the Smiling Buddha or something? Oh, my God. I've been printing for that show that I'm having at Corolla's Gallery next week, and you you wouldn't believe how many pictures of people with blotches all over I, their I remember it. There were, there were <laughs> a bunch of, of leftover... reasons, blotches on his shirt. Well, actually, right off the bat, Bev, you kind of were vague there. Perhaps you should say, my show at Corolla's. Maybe a bit of background. What's going on? Oh, I'm doing a show of 144 photographs at Corolla's. It's a retrospective 1979 to 1984, nothing any later than 84. And what type of photos, and where is Corolla's? Oh, Corolla's gallery is the gem gallery. Corolla's presenting the show tonight, too, which is the tie-in with that. And the gem gallery stands for just east of Main. So it's on Broadway, just east of Main Street, in the first block there between Kingsway and Main Street and these on were, Broadway. And these were some of the punk rock picks yeah. that you took. None of them from the calendar, because I figure people can look at the calendar on their wall. They want to look at something else. Reading your calendar, your punk rock calendar, Bev, you mentioned a story about, and maybe you could explain this to Buck, about the Modernettes breaking a tire or a wheel or something like that on the Oak Bay Bridge in that, San Francisco or something like that. Do you, re- do you remember when, when we were down in San Francisco for that music festival? The right, the Western year? Front. Because I believe you went down the first year also. Right. 
and then I went. I was down there for the second year, and you guys were playing, or stayed or something in Berkeley. Right, and I remember. And then we that. were driving back. I would, I'm not over the Bay Bridge. We were driving really like vaguely, didn't know how then, um, and and there was something like kind of weird, like the tire sort of went. Ugh. And then we got across the bridge, and then Jughead looked at it when we stopped and said, Oh, my God, we blew this huge hole out of a brand-new tire. But, like, we didn't careen out of control or anything like that, which was really good. <laughs> no, I don't, I, don't, I don't remember that one. Oh, okay. It was, like, there wasn't an accident, so I guess that makes it less memorable. <laughs> well, you know and, me, you know, I don't like heights, so anytime we went over bridges, I was usually... We the railing and gone off the edge of the bridge or something, but it's the longest bridge, and it's a huge, long bridge. Buck also mentioned, Bev, about how Johnny Thunders almost stole his <laughs> 57 Gibson. Now, you were at that gig, too, and you told me something about Johnny Thunders' library card. Do you anything, remember anything about Johnny Thunders' library card at all, Buck? No, I don't know anything about this. I just remember him threatening to shoot Oxidol if somebody didn't find him some dope. <laughs> and I remember, like, various photographers standing around not mentioning anybody, but, um, and, and people going, what's taking him so long in the bathroom? No one takes that long in the bathroom. <laughs> well, he did. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. But I don't remember, I didn't, I, I, I remember just recently that it actually was two nights. Yeah. Um, and the first night he completely sucked, and the second night he was just amazing. Were the yeah. modernettes on the bill for that, John? No, that was Los Populares. Ah. And, Bev, what about the library card? Maybe you oh, can tell well, John about Jerry that. Oh, that was Jerry Taylor that told me that. So whether he was telling everybody that or he said that um, he was sort of patting himself on the back for having got thunders across the border. And the only piece of ID that he had was a New York City library card. But he would got him across because the head border guy on that shift went to high school with Gary Taylor. So that always helps. Never push when you can pull. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm looking forward to the show tonight. That's, well, me too. <laughs> uh, the only thing I remember about that was when they got him through the border, the guy came in and he was very, very proud of himself. Because ah. they'd done this whole thing and, and he was jonesing, right? So he was barely, could barely stand up when they had him at the, uh, you know, the customs booth. Uh-huh. And he had no ID and he had no money and... Uh, the guy gave no this big spiel about you know, how he was, he was a very respected artist, you know, had a really bad case of the flu, but, you know, they were going to get him here. He was just doing a showcase, wasn't actually going to be paid, so there wasn't any problem with paperwork. Blah, blah, blah. And Thunders, just as the guy said, well, all right then, but, you know, this is, you know, gave him the conditions for entry into Canada. And there was, thank you very much, and just getting him through the door, and Thunders kind of woke up a bit and said, so who the fuck's holding? <laughs> and they just had to throw him in the car and, you know, leave immediately. Um, One other thing I was wondering, Buck Cherry, of all the gigs you played with in the Modernettes or Lost Populeros, what other bands that you played with, aside from Johnny Thunders, really left a lasting impression of the international American caliber, etc.? What other gigs did you back up? What other bands did you play with of the bigger persuasion? Well, my favorite bands to play with were... X that we played with probably a dozen times, and Dream Syndicate, that I, who I still love and think we're one of the most brilliant and unappreciated American guitar rock and roll bands. How about the least favorite bands to play with? Crime. Where, you, where was that? That was in San Francisco. 
Were they ever going to come to Vancouver? I heard they were going to come to Vancouver, but they canceled. This was crime. I think that's because they knew what was going to happen when they got here. Uh, I have no idea. They were just such complete, arrogant assholes and uh, had absolutely no basis for their arrogance. It was completely unfounded arrogance. And uh, they were just uh, complete jerks to, uh, to us. We were on the bill with them, and so we uh, sabotaged all their gear before we left that night. How do you sabotage crime's gear, John Armstrong, Buck Cherry, playing tonight at Richards & Richards? I took all the fuses out of their amplifiers, carefully broke them, and then put them back in. So that when they turned their stuff on the next time they played, nothing would work. What did their fans think of them that night? Like, what did their fans think of them, and what did their fans think of you? Or were there any fans at all at the gig? Oh, it was the usual Mabahay thing. It was packed, and I don't think anybody cared. Crime, crime was popular with people who didn't really like music. They were, they were like the, they were like the punk rock version of Kiss. They dressed up like cops and I sucked never, their cheeks in to try them. to look like junkies. I, I've seen some good posters, um, with with, you know, for their gigs. There's one with a, a sort of a cartoon. Yeah, they had way more image than anything right else. And they're now justly forgotten and consigned to the trash bin of history. Actually, quite a few people do worship the crime. In fact, Thurston Moore of Sonic Youth even covers one of their songs like Hot Wire My Heart or something like that. So they have got a quite a bit of legendary status there, John Armstrong, Buck Cherry. But maybe well, not... Well, this has happened before in Nardwar. Everyone else is wrong and I'm right. But not quite as legendary as the Modernettes from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, playing tonight at Richards Richards. And thank you for phoning in, Bev. Anything else you want to say to the people out there at all, Bev Davies? Uh, your exhibit, again, is happening when? Maybe you could one more time plug that? Um, the opening is January 5th at 8 o'clock or 7 o'clock. Or, you know, if you come around 7 o'clock, that'll be fine. Um, at Corolla's Gallery, which is 225 East Broadway, just east of Maine. And will there don't be forget a, to buy the calendar will there, or make somebody give it to you. Will there be any Modernettes picks at the gallery at the opening next week? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, they're, they're all of me, Nardwar. All of them. <laughs> uh, but thankfully, Bev was not involved in any nude photos of Buck, was she? No. No, Jim took all those. But, Bev, you were involved in nude photos with Art Bergman, now, weren't you? Not telling. But you have to come to the show to see. Great. Well, thanks so much, Bev. Keep on rocking in the free world and do-do-do-do-do. Click-click. And you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwarta Human Serviette Radio Show. And we're speaking here to Buck Cherry, John Armstrong from the Modernettes, who are playing tonight at Richards and Richards. Winding up here, if you have any other questions, 604-822-2487, 604-UBC-CITR to speak to John Armstrong, Buck Cherry of the Modernettes. I was asking you about Mooch, and I found a quote that Mooch said. I went to the first practice at this space Buck had rented in a room under a garment sweatshop on Main Street. The sweltering room was 10 by 10 and was built like a brick oven. What was that place? That sounds fascinating. Oh, God, I remember that. Yeah, and my introduction to my, the way I introduced Mooch to what this band was going to be like was I got there and... I was drunk and I'd lost the key, so I kicked the door in. <laughs> and he kind of like hung around and played these songs and said, this isn't really my thing, and he left. <laughs> and that was it. And then the drummer Jughead showed up and had to figure out how to fix the door so the landlord wouldn't throw us out. Do you know if it's still there? It is, in fact. Uh, do you know that place on Main just up from the Delhi Darbar? 
uh, Indian restaurant. There's a really beautiful uh, brick apartment building that had a Okay, exotic soap and towels store on the retail level. I think so. Right across the street from that on the same side. It was in the basement. It was this little warren. He'd carved up this basement into all these tiny little rooms, I guess, for storage, and rented us one for like $50 a month. It seems really neat to think about all the old history associated with the modernettes, etc. Like, in your book, you talk about a gig happening at the old Sun Building in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, which sounds really cool. Yeah, bizarrely, I ended up working for the Sun for a number of years. But not in that building, no. No, too bad. It was a beautiful building. Still is. And you also talk about rocking out at the Pender Ballroom to Iggy Pop, which is now gone, which is completely burnt down, which is really yeah. sad. What other old venues were around when the Modernettes were playing that you really enjoyed playing? Like, of course, I guess the Buddha and the Cave and stuff like that. But were there any obscure venues that, like, say, Hendrix played at? Did Hendrix really play the Smiling Buddha? Yes, he did. How do we know? Uh, it's it's. I can't give you chapter and verse, but it's it's solidly documented. He played in a soul band that played the circuit on the coast, and the Small and Buddha was one of the clubs on that circuit. And uh, he got fired and had to sit there and drink rum and cokes because he was too loud. And Lashman remembered it very well. John Armstrong Buck... Flashman was the owner of the Small Buddha for many, many years. John Armstrong Buck Cherry, you had an interesting agreement with the band Buck Cherry from Los Angeles. One band you didn't have an agreement with, I don't think, is the Ravenettes from Denmark. I actually interviewed them and gave them a Modernettes record just to show them that, hey, we had the Ets here first. Had you heard about the Ravenettes. Have you had any? Yeah, they're great, actually. Have you had any? You like the you like the Ravenettes. I, I just love anybody who decides they're going to write a whole album in in one key. Have <laughs> uh, you kept up on the Ets bands? You know, there was the Modettes. No. You know, and there's now called. But the, at the same the time, Pipettes. we were going. There's a band in England, an all-girl band called the Modettes. Right. So, the the name actually came from uh, a David Johansson song called uh, Frenchette. And he was just talking about things that that sounded as if they were something, but really weren't. They were kind of a low rent version of it. Like you call that love in French, but it's just French chat. I want you to come into my dinette. You know, it's not a dining room; it's a dinette. Uh, you know, leatherette isn't really leather. So I just thought modernettes kind of summed up what we were because we weren't all that modern. <laughs> Who came to your gigs? Did any mods come to your gigs? Was there any crossover with mods coming to see the Modernettes? I think word got out pretty quick that we were not a mod band, even though we had mod in our name. We did wear kind of mod fashion, so. Kind of, but I mean, even then, I, you know, I had grown up on, I still loved that, that period of music, you know, the Who and the Small Faces and the Action and all those bands. Uh, that was a big part of my musical upbringing, so uh, I didn't really go along with the wholesale writing off of everything that had happened before, like before Raw Power was, you know, released. When your book came out, Guilty of Everything, what was the reaction to it? What's the reaction did you have to the book? Because I know Jerry Hanna of the Subhumans. He was a bit confused, I think, by the little passage where you talk about him using a blow dryer and his hair in Edmonton or something like that. 
Well, it was a pretty indelible image. <laughs> it was hard to forget. Uh, yeah, he was, well, read the book. But um, I don't know what he would be confused by. Well, I don't. You couldn't get him out of a bathroom with a crowbar. I'll tell you that. I'm not sure if he could remember that story. I think I asked him about it. I don't think he quite remembered it oh. that way. Uh, how have the reactions been to your book? Like it's been optioned for a movie. How have the reactions been from the people that were there at the time? Is it dangerous writing a book about the punk rock scene? Would you recommend people writing a book about even the current punk rock scenes? I mean, you leave yourself open to quite a bit of criticisms. Did you get any criticisms? Yeah, the best one I heard actually was a guy who mailed me who's another writer and he's writing about the downtown east side and since a lot of the book takes place during a particular era in the downtown east side he wanted to know if i would talk with him for his book and you know tell him what i remembered about the neighborhood and he said uh uh, because i got your book from the library and i said oh you'd be interested to know somebody had taken it out and they'd written in the margins taking issue like on every page with things that i had said so I mean I never I've never purported that it is anything more than my remembrance of it, and you know it's my version of what happened and what I recall to the best of my ability. But I don't uh, you know it's accurate for the most part. Even after it came out, Nick Jones said, from the Point of Sticks said he really enjoyed it, but he thought I'd gotten a lot of the dates wrong. Like I say, something happened in 1980, but it was in 1981, and I really didn't worry about things like that. I wanted to get the feel of it accurately and i didn't much care about the journalism and the, you know the you know whether it was a wednesday or thursday or whether somebody had a bologna sandwich or chicken salad you know didn't that didn't seem to me very important what was important was to write about what it smelled like and what it tasted like and what it felt like. Or what it was like going to see Mitch Ryder. That was incredible. That's what I really remember about that book. What can you tell the people about the Mitch Ryder, John Armstrong, Buck Cherry encounter? Because it sounded like it was an incredible gig. Mitch Ryder. Uh, It was, well, Mitch Ryder is Mitch Ryder. I mean, you know, the Detroit Wheels. So he was playing at a place called The Body Shop downtown. And, uh, it was a sort of very heavy-duty rock and roll, like like proper rock venue. You know, everybody had feathered hair and bell bottoms. And now, the body shop did that not turn into Richards on Richards, where you're playing tonight? Oh God, no! I'm sure it didn't. The body shop was over by like Howe Street or something. It's over where the, actually it's where the uh, courthouse is now, or the, the new courts, the Robson courts. Okay. At any rate, so we went to see him play, and he, you know, obligingly did some of the old Detroit Wheels hits, but then, you know, he had a new album out. It was called How I Spent My Summer Vacation. And strangely enough, it was uh, an album where he decided to come out about his homosexuality. And one particularly long song that kind of sounded like a big Doors epic that had lots of keyboard sort of arabesques and uh, sort of Eastern motifs in the guitar parts, was a very long and involved uh, kind of recitation of him giving a sailor a blowjob in Germany in a, in a washroom. And Art and I were just, fuck, this is great. This is the coolest thing I've ever seen, you know. This guy has got so much, you know, what, what balls, right? And in front of this audience, which was very much a draft beer and hockey and, you know, uh, ride my pony kind of kind of audience so we were sitting there drinking and and cheering and uh everybody else was kind of going and when we left the gig we walked a few blocks into the west end we were going to somebody's house to you know to a party or something 
And his car screeched to a halt, and about half a dozen guys piled out, and one of them had a tire and hit Art in the face with it. Broke his jaw, put him in the hospital for quite a while. And uh, I was a little less drunk than Art, and I managed to get into a doorway so no one could get behind me. And I got a much less severe beating. But to what it was like back then, uh, if you wore... If you had short hair and wore straight leg pants, you didn't dare go anywhere by yourself. You actually had to have two or three friends go with you. And what's interesting about that is that story ended up in the Vancouver Sun, the story of your beating. And then you ended up in the Vancouver Sun writing for the Vancouver Sun and it almost got beaded out of there. Yeah, and, and frankly, I would have rather had a tire iron than, than the Vancouver Sun. But for my sins, I got a real job and hated every minute of it and... Now I'm free, thank God. But didn't punk rock kind of save your life in a way, Buck Cherry, John Armstrong? For instance, in San Francisco, wasn't there some guy that was trying to kill you, but he liked Devo or something like that, or you told him a Devo tune, and then he, like, backed off? Oh, I had, yeah, it was, a, it was my first time in San Francisco when we went to stay at, at Brad Kent's apartment. He lived in the Mission District because it was cheap, but it was primarily Hispanic, and... Uh, I got up early in the morning, and no one else was up, and I decided to go and buy some beer. And I walked down the street, and I was wearing black straight-leg pants and pointy-toed shoes, and I had black hair, greased back, and a a pompadour. And I I looked just like every other (laughs) Mexican-American. So I walked in the store, and these uh, cholos that were standing out front started talking to me in Spanish. And I said, hey, no habla, no habla, me es canadien. And the guy didn't believe me. He thought I was a Mexican guy from another neighborhood, and why was he on their turf? And I was getting ready to uh, to get thumped, and suddenly all I remembered was uh, there was an ABBA record called Thank You for the Music, and I remember it came out in Spanish, because Nick Jones had a copy, and it was called Gracias por la Musica. That <laughs> was about all the Spanish I knew besides Dos Cerveza, Por Favor, was I said, uh, La Musica, La Musica Punk. Punk, musica. And he looked at me, he goes, punk, punk, eh? And then he started singing. I says, oh, Devo, whip it, man, whip it. And I said, yeah, see, sí, see, sí, Devo, Devo. And then they all started singing whip it. And it was... So I avoided getting killed, and I got back to the apartment with my uh, beer, and I immediately drank about three of them. And Brad said, what happened? And I told him, and he says, oh, man, you know, you're so lucky. And I told him the Devo thing, and he just said, oh, fuck, yeah, these guys go by in their, their lowrider cars, and they just have Devo pouring for some, you know, coming out the windows, cranked up. They just love that song for some reason. So Devo saved my life. And you can save people's life tonight at Richards & Richards, Buck Cherry, John Armstrong, The Modernettes, tonight at Richards & Richards in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And lastly, lastly here, Buck Cherry, you have a new book coming out, I think, called Wages, right? Talking about chicken slaughterhouses and Bible camps. That sounds really exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, my second book. It's coming out in spring from New Star Books. And it's another memoir. Uh just because there's a bunch of stuff I hadn't written about. I, uh, the genesis of it was when I left the Vancouver Sun after 15 years as a reporter, uh, I realized that I'd actually reached, I'd ha- I had a job that people would kill to get, people coming out of journalism school, and I couldn't wait to get out of there. Uh, and it just seemed to me that I was just wholly unfit for any kind of decent occupation. And I wondered why that was, and if 
everybody else hated working as much as I did. And so I decided to write a book about my working life and sort of, you know, there's people that, there's people that come out of high school or college and they know exactly what they want to do with their lives and they pursue it and they kind of rise level by level to wherever they end up. And my life wasn't like that at all. I didn't think of anything I really wanted to do except be in a band or, or write. <clears throat> so I, uh, but I did a bunch of really strange things on the way there. Uh, I don't know what your work history is like, but you know, you just kind of need a job and something presents itself and you, you get hired and you stay there as long as you can stand it or as long as they can stand you. And then you leave and you end up doing something else that usually has no relation to what you just did. Does that make any sense to you? It does, although I think it's provided some interesting moments for you, hasn't it? For instance, like you're cleaning the toilets, and then you hear your band on the radio, right? That actually happened? Yeah. I was working at the Georgia Strait because I was starving. I went in and begged for a job, and they gave me a part-time job as a janitor. And I was uh, scrubbing out a toilet bowl in the employee's washroom when a van pulled in to uh, pick up uh, copies of the paper to go distribute them on the loading dock and I could hear Confidential playing on the radio and then the guy loaded the papers on and left and I was still scrubbing the toilet When were you in the chicken slaughterhouse? Was that earlier on? And where did the Bible camp play into it? Was there a Bible camp that played into something? In high school I was in love with the organist at my friend's church and so I enrolled as a volunteer or as a camp counselor uh, in, at their summer camp, a Lutheran summer camp called Camp Luther on Hatsik Lake. And uh, I lost my virginity at Bible camp to another counselor, got busted by the head counselor, and got sent packing. Uh, came back home, ended up moving out of my parents' place, uh, and same thing, I was too young to get welfare. So I got a job at a chicken slaughterhouse, and I stood on a catwalk, and a conveyor belt, an overhead conveyor belt, brought chickens upside down eight hours a day, and I had an electric knife and cut their heads off and dropped them into a smithwright below me on the floor. How it was like working at Auschwitz. The Vancouver Sun, John Armstrong, did present you with some interesting opportunities, like going down to interview Dennis Hopper, etc. What was the situation where you got to talk to Bukowski? Was that part of the Vancouver Sun? Did the Vancouver Sun help you get have any fun? No. No, not really, except that, oddly enough, I, I did more drugs and drank when I worked at the Sun than I did when I, when I played music, just because I was desperate to anesthetize myself. Uh, Bukowski, though, no, I just went to see him read at the Viking Hall. Which is still around in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. It is, Canada. it's a Spanish dance studio now. And your own house, where you live, John, has quite a bit of interesting history, or I know the one that... I met you outside of you presented me with the amazing modernette shirt. It has kind of that detached house in the back, doesn't right. it? What's the history on that? It's kind of neat, like a detached house kind of in the back. Well, it's the original house on the property. It was built in 1899 by a sea captain named Captain McDonald. That's about all we've been able to find out. Uh, and we think that's where he lived when he was in town, when he was in port. Uh, and right before I moved in, there was a murder there. <laughs> Some uh, drug dealers murdered a prostitute and uh, cut her body up and wrapped it in garbage bags and then went to to dispose of the evidence and left the uh, pieces of the corpse at John Mackey's house. John Mackey, the writer for the Vancouver Sun, who's six or seven blocks from me. So 
I emailed Mackie when I heard this story and said, Jesus, I didn't know anything about this. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, they dumped the body at my house. So there you go. That's Vancouver for you. Well, thank you so much for phoning into the Nardwire to Human Serviette radio show. Buck Cherry, John Armstrong from the Modernettes, playing tonight in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And for listening to this interview, John, well, I guess you get nothing, but you get the satisfaction of playing live tonight at Richards & Richards. But the listeners for listening to this interview get the satisfaction of, well, be the first two callers in, listeners out there in Radioland, 604-822-247-604-UBC-CITR. You will win free tickets to go see who tonight, John Armstrong? The Modernettes, with support, the Manvilles, Rich Hope and his evildoers, and Junior Major. That's 604-822-2487, 604-UBC-CITR, if you'd like to win some free tickets to go see the Modernettes tonight in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And John, we're going to end right now with the Modernettes doing I Can Only Give You Everything from that Vancouver show performance and a whole bunch of other Modernettes there as well. This is the Modernettes from the recently reissued CD on Sudden Death. If people are interested in the Modernettes and maybe can't see you tonight, although hopefully they will, 604 ubccitr They can seek out your recordings on the Sudden Death record label, and also they can seek out your book, Guilty of Everything, on New Star Records, right? Is there anything else that I should Amazon, give out there? You can get it through Amazon. And Amazon as well, and I think there's some Modernettes MySpacing happening too. And speaking of MySpacing, if you're in Japan, if you're listening online, you're going to be heading to Japan for some Modernettesing. And, yes. And in returning to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada with a new name, right? With a new name. Well, be- I hope so. There's some talk now they may want to put the new record out as Modernettes, and we'll see what happens. Well, thanks so much, John. Keep on rocking in the free world, and doot, doot, loot, do. Doot, doot. Our next guests make up a band that some critics have called the best in Vancouver. Buck Cherry, Mary Jo Kopechny, Randy Valentino, and Ian Noble are the Modernettes, and they're here to play a song off their latest extended play album, View from the Bottom. Ladies and gentlemen, the disarming sounds of the Modernettes with The Rebel Kind. They call us the Rebel Kind, but they don't 